Parables are many of our favorite portions of the Gospels, I would imagine. And the parable of the prodigal son is probably one of the most well-known, well-loved of those parables. So let's uh, spend a moment here refreshing our memory, reading this together. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 15, I'll begin reading at verse 11 where Jesus tells this parable. Luke 15:11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. I want what I want, and I want it now. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to, fig, to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses... I love that phrase, one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son launched into his well-rehearsed speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupted him, right? <laughs> but the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I got one woohoo. We can do better than that. Mean, thank you. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The son asked for his share of the estate. Jesus' parables are stories, but they're based on stories that he probably heard from time to time. Undoubtedly, there was a selfish son in his growing up years that had asked his father for his share of the estate because he wanted to go off and live his life. The, the estate that the son was talking about is a part of a story, and yet, if it were real, and certainly these kind of things undoubtedly really happened, then what we're probably talking about here is land right? The family had been given land. Moses had divided, or Joshua had divided up the, the territory among the tribes of, of Israel, and every clan and every family had land that was given to them that would be under their control for generations and generations and generations. And so this son was probably asking his father for the part of the estate that included part of the land, that was going to be his. Which meant that when the son a few days later decided to skip town and go live a wild life someplace else, that he had to liquidate that asset, right? He had to sell the land and turn it into money, gold or silver. What would it mean for a family to lose, to have to sell some of their inherited land to another family, another clan, another tribe? It would have been a, a certain a, a loss of identity in the community of God because they were so rooted to the land that they had been given, the promised land that they had been given. So to give that way, to sell that land, to give that identity away was, was a loss that would have been a shame to his family. How could you do something like this? no longer being rooted to the land of Israel, but cut off from God, a shame to his entire family. Then it says he went off to another country, and there he indulged in wild living. His older brother presumes that it involved prostitutes, and that might very well have eat, drink, and be merry, and all of the stuff that goes along with that it would have been a shame of moral corruption that he was experiencing. And finally, he's left at the bottom of the barrel, literally, feeding pigs, starving himself. No one will give him anything, and he wants pig slop. That's the most appetizing thing on the menu, as far as he's concerned. And of course, we know that pigs were unclean animals to the Jewish people. And so for him to be slopping pigs and wishing to eat the slop of pigs would have been a, 
shame of spiritual corruption in his life as well. This is a young man who has cut himself off from everything, everyone, including family and God. We have embraced the word prodigal to describe this young man, haven't we? I looked it up. Prodigal comes from Latin roots, which means one who wastes money by spending with reckless abandon. As a kid, I wasn't very good at saving my money. I was a spendthrift. Can I get a witness, right? <laughs> but, but this exceeds that. You know, this is the person that's not only throwing away their money hand over fist as fast as they can, but probably if he had a credit card, exceeding the capacity of that credit card as well. Synonyms for the word prodigal include wastefully extravagant, high rolling, hello Las Vegas, profligate, spendthrift, squandering, But it's not only financial ruin that this young man was experiencing, it's also moral and relational and spiritual ruin. He is giving away, spending everything, every resource that he has. It was noted that uh, in some of my reading that this word is seldom used other than in reference to this parable. When's the last time you used the word prodigal not speaking of this parable. Yeah, I didn't think so. Me neither. But here it means the emphasis on this son's wanton wastefulness and sinfulness. Prodigal, as a matter of fact, does not appear anywhere in the New or Old Testaments. It's a word that doesn't belong to Scripture, and I couldn't find when it was first applied to this parable. Perhaps fairly early on, but I couldn't, I couldn't find that out. But it's a word that has become associated with this story, but it's not mentioned by Jesus, not mentioned by the writers of the gospel. It's not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. So I ask myself the question, what title would Jesus have given this parable? This parable is actually one of three, a set of three related parables here in chapter 15, which are all three told in response to the muttering of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We know this crew, right? They were constantly looking for some damning evidence that they could, they could pull together to, to get Jesus in trouble, to undermine what he was saying and teaching. And sure enough, they had cornered him and they asked him a question. So turn with me in Matthew chapter 15 to the very first verse. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners. Shocking. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons like these Pharisees who do not need to repent. Or suppose, the second parable, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he continues and launches into the parable of the prodigal son. These three parables work together to define the word lost. In the New International Version, these three parables are entitled the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. So I suspect that Jesus would have used the word lost as a title as well. Jesus uses the word lost where the Pharisees and teachers of the law have used the word sinners. In the minds of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, sinners were profligate, wanton, beyond redemption kind of people. To be held at arm's length, to be pushed away somehow so that they become invisible. But Jesus uses the, worst, the word lost rather than the word unpardonable sinners. The sheep is lost because of its sheer foolishness. Some of you in this congregation are very familiar with sheep and how foolish they are. The sheep was lost because of its foolishness. The coin was lost through no fault of its own. It didn't grow legs and run away. It was just lost, dropped, rolled away, covered by some newspapers. The son becomes lost very deliberately, though. People get lost for a variety of reasons, for a variety of different ways, all stemming from the fact that we are fallen people living with other fallen people in a fallen world, which is a recipe for getting lost. If the word lost is stamped all over these parables, though, so is the word found. In the case of the sheep and the coin, the owner is actively searching to find what is lost. In the case of the son, the father must wait for him to come to his senses before he is found. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law used the word sinners, by which they meant people who were not only disobedient to God, but outside the mercy of God. Jesus uses the word lost, on the other hand, because he knew that God is the kind of heavenly shepherd, heavenly homeowner, heavenly father, who will seek and save the lost, isn't he? The Pharisees believed excluding sinners was the only reasonable thing to do. Jesus taught that being found is the only thing to do. 
Seeking and saving the lost seems to be the overriding mission of God, doesn't it? What is God all about? Why does God seem to exist? It's to seek and save the lost. It's to find that which was lost. That's his mission. But what drives the mission, that mission in the heart of God? Jesus in these parables is answering the question, why do you eat with these people? And the shepherd parable and the the woman with the coin parable and the father parable are metaphors for God. It's, It's Jesus answering the question, why do you eat with these people? And as it turns out, God who is full of compassion and concern and infinite love finds those who are lost regardless of how they got lost. That's what he does. And once the lost are found, it's party time, right? <laughs> I could let my imagine go wild, but we're, 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 we don't have that kind of time. But party time seems to be the thing that comes immediately after God found, finds what is lost. Party with friends and neighbors over the lost and found sheep, that foolish sheep. Party with friends and neighbors over the lost and found coin. And I imagine it means spending that coin in order to have the party, right? (laughs) Party with the servants for the lost and found son, the dead but now alive son. During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was asked how he would um, treat the rebellious Southerners when they were finally defeated. He said in response, I will treat them as if they had never been away. That's what God does for us. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why are you welcoming sinners and eating with them? And these three parables are Jesus's way of asking, why aren't you eating with them? Wouldn't you have a party if it was you? Wouldn't you enjoy a party if you were the lost son or daughter and finally came to your senses and came? Wouldn't you love to have a party instead of going back as a servant, the paid laborer? Pharisees, wouldn't you throw a party too? We're all prodigal Sinners lost in our foolishness, our bad luck, in our deliberate sinfulness and selfishness. But God loves the lost, and he seeks them like the hound of heaven that God is. One final interesting, important feature of these parables. In the parable of the lost sheep, it is one out of every 100 who are lost by their foolishness. That's In the lost coin, it is one out of every 10 who are lost through no fault of their own. That's 10%. In the lost son, it is one out of every two who are lost because of their deliberate choices, 50%. But it really isn't one out of two, is it? Isn't the older brother just as lost as the younger? 
Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you don't want to eat with the sinners. You wouldn't welcome these people, but that's a sin in its own right. And he tells a parable, casting this older brother in the role of the Pharisees and the tax collectors. They're just as lost as the younger son. In his own pharisaical self-righteousness, he is cut off from his own brother. He refuses to call him a brother. He says, this son of yours. <laughs> I want to distance myself from him. He's not part of this family. He's not my brother. And in so doing, he's also cutting himself off from his father, isn't he? The jealousy in his own heart becomes a barrier between he and his father. In reality, both sons are lost, which means that it's one out of every one who is lost. And that sounds like 100% to me, right? Prodigal may primarily be used to refer to the wastefully extravagant sinfulness of those of us who are lost, but it also refers to the lavish, gracious love of our Heavenly Father. It's that reckless love of God. Our shepherd father is determined to find every lost sheep, every last lost coin, and every lost child. If you're taking notes and you want to have a sermon in one small sentence, I'd suggest this. Prodigal love seeks the prodigally lost. Prodigal love seeks the prodigally lost. Would you pray with me? I'd ask you in the quiet of this moment to identify which character in these parables you identify with. Do you feel like the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Do you feel like the shepherd, the woman searching for the coin, or the, pro the father on the front porch day after day looking for his lost son? Perhaps you feel like that older brother other people don't deserve this. I'm the only one that deserves this. Let's be honest with ourselves. That usually shows up at some point in our lives, doesn't it? With which character do you identify this morning? Then ask yourself the question, in what ways do I feel like I am lost? Where am I adrift? Where do I feel like I am constantly on the verge of getting into some kind of trouble? How distant does God seem to be from you? How distant are the relationships in your life with parents and children, siblings? 
How is God searching for me? Is he the shepherd looking in every nook and cranny, every valley, every hill, behind every tree? Is God turning the house upside down looking for you? Is God patiently waiting for you to come to your senses? Have a conversation with your Heavenly Father right now. Silent, private conversation. The younger son rehearsed his speech before he went home. What would you say to God as he comes running to embrace you? Most of us in this room are saved. We've made our way back home. We've repented of our sins and our sinfulness. And we thank you for the mercy that you poured out as we came back home. But Lord, Jesus taught us to pray every day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we pray, we invite you to bring to our mind the places where we have selfishly run away from home, the places where we have forgotten how generous you are, the places where self-righteousness has crept into our lives. Lord, forgive us. Lord, as our children are hearing these stories again this morning, as they are learning lessons and experiencing the mercy and the love of God, we pray that you would transform their young lives. Lord, you you save lost children. And we pray that if our children don't know you, that they would enter into a relationship with you this morning, that they would be found by you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your compassion. We thank you for your lavish, prodigal love for us. Help us as we share lunch together as we have conversations with one another this afternoon, help us, Father, to celebrate your mercy and our freedom. We love you, Father. Thank you for loving us first. In Christ's powerful name we pray. Amen.